How y'all doing? Good. You ready to switch it up again today? So a little different, we're doing, um, we're doing our sermon right now, teaching time on worship, and then we're going to get into some more worship. Who's down for that? Amen. Amen. So it's quiz time. Uh-oh. I know it's kind of a bad word, huh? Tests, quizzes, recall. But it's important. So I want to I talk today, we're, we're going to talk today, continue our series on worship, which our series is Worship the Heart of God. So it's really about reaching God's heart and the purpose of not just worship in general, because worship is a big word, and we talked about that before, but worship in and of itself corporately is when we come together, individuals come together as one body, and we seek the Lord, and we praise and worship him. And so we've been talking about the word praise, right? And how there's a, you know, there's seven Hebrew words that are all translated praise. So seven different Hebrew words, all at one point or another, are translated into the English word praise. So you can tell by that alone, we miss out on a lot of what that word really means. And so that's what we've been talking about um, the last few weeks. And we're on our fourth uh, fourth lesson here on this series, and I want to review a little bit before we get going, but today we're going to talk about some exciting words, because we've been going through the seven Hebrew words. Does anyone remember what last week's words were? Todah, and what did that mean? So which one was Todah? Was it this one or this one? No? Todah is this one, right? It's a thanks offering, remember? Bringing God an offering, a thanks offering. The Hebrew word actually pictures this, right? Yep. And then yada was throwing an arrow. Remember, throwing your hands. Yad means to cast or throw. And the ah on the end of a word, A-H, is God. So casting your hands towards God, that's the Hebrew word for yada. And that means a, a, a worship as well. So we'll get to that a little bit. So this week, we're going to talk about singing, the word for singing, and also the word for shouting. It's a shouting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. We got our one good shouter, and that's it. We'll work on that. So, I know, right? So, has, okay, just to make sure, has anyone in the room ever shouted? Yeah. No, sometimes? You've ne- okay. How about just getting a little louder than normal? I mean, there's, they're shouting extremely loud, you know. That's yelling. That's, remember when um, the children of Israel were circling Jer- uh, Jericho? Remember, they gave a loud shot, shout, and we said that was a ranan, the Hebrew word ranan, which is meaning like a war cry. That's really loud, blow, blow your eardrums out. But this kind of shout we're going to talk about today is really giving loud uh, acclimates towards God. So we'll talk about it in a second. So before we get into those words, though, I want to review a little bit, make sure we're on the same page, because when we talk about worship, we're talking about a journey to the throne room. We're talking about a process that we go from the outer courts into the inner courts. Remember the Old Testament? Remember the temple that Moses set up had outer courts and the inner courts and then the Holy of Holies, right? And there was a process to get in there. You just couldn't go do-do-do-do and just go into the Holy Holies, right? You could die. That's why they tied rope onto the high priest's ankle as they walked in because he may screw up and he's a goner. So it was a serious business entering in the presence of God. And somehow we've gotten in the New Testament where we think since Jesus died for us and did all that great stuff he did, now we can just go do, 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 do. We can just come to church and we're right in God's presence with no preparation at all. And it's like, whoa, hold on. Let's see what God says about that. So we've been looking at this process about worship and what the word worship really means. And in your notes there, I want to review really quickly what worship is, 
We talked about worship is a spiritual weapon. Remember, we talked about Jericho, and we talked about the fact of getting in God's presence is a spiritual act of warfare against the principalities and powers of darkness, right? Paul said, don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Paul said, be aware, be aware of that because you have an enemy, everyone in this room does, who's out, Jesus said this, he's come to kill, steal, steal, and destroy. So the enemy is out to do those things to you. So Paul says, be, no, don't be unaware of that. Be aware of that. And it's in worship that we can use a powerful weapon against the enemy. And we've been learning how that is each week. Number two, worship is about drawing near to God. Remember the word about the, the word worship talked about a dog licking the master's hand. It's about this drawing, getting face to face like a kiss face-to-face with God. That's what the word worship means. It means about coming close to him and knowing him more than just knowing about him. Amen? Isn't there a big difference between knowing about God and really knowing him? Because on that great day of judgment that's coming, guys, you want Jesus to say, I know you. I know you. I don't know you. (laughs) Sorry, Chris, you're my example. Chris can handle it. But we want to make sure that we know him, and that's the process of knowing him, not just knowing about him. So worship, the act of worship is pressing into God, drawing near to God, getting personal with God and intimate with God. Remember my favorite verse in John 17, 3, for this is eternal life. Jesus said this. He summed up eternal life. Big deal. This is eternal life that they, you and me, might know, ganasco, the Greek word, intimately know the Father. That's why he came. That was his purpose, church, for coming and dying and shedding his blood for us so that we could intimately know him, amen? It wasn't just to save us from hell, although that was a great part of it. The bigger part was that we could know him and be intimate and close with God, have a personal relationship, amen? All right, so then three talks about worship is your foundation of spiritual strength. We talked about, remember where Jesus misquoted the psalm on purpose to get us thinking about what he was saying, and that it was that uh, newborn uh, praise that was really a strength. It was that unabandoned worship where you just were so thankful for what God was doing. It was that attitude, that worshipful attitude of how great God is and what he saved you from that made worship so powerful, okay? Next, number four, and this is important, guys, because worship entails a lot of uh, things about it. Okay, when we come together, this is a big thing that should happen every Sunday and should happen as you spend time with the Lord each day. Number four, worship is a refining process. Remember that? Refining process. We talked about the goldsmith and how they would heat up the gold and they would, it would, as the heat would increase, the dross, the dirt, all the dirt that was not gold, all the impurities would be raised up to the top and then they would they would do what? They would skim it and take the dross off the top. And we remember we talked about, although in worship, God will raise up all the stuff that he doesn't want in our hearts, all the junk that we've allowed in and thinking processes and things and junk, he'll raise that up because worship, when you get closer to God, his holiness does that. It's just he's so perfect, so holy, so awesome that the closer you get, all the dirt and junk just kind of goes and raises up. So the closer you want to get, you have to deal with all this stuff. Because you can't just walk in with a bunch of junk and go, no, I want to be close to you, God, but I want to keep all this junk with me. Will you be? No, no, no. That's why people drop dead when they, in his presence. So when you come to God, you got to go, wait, as I'm getting closer, I'm worshiping, I'm realizing, I'm getting convicted, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, and all this stuff's coming up in my heart, then I have to get that dross and I have to go, 
God, I don't, I don't want this. Thank you for showing me. Here, put it on the altar. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. And then you purify yourself by removing the dross, and you can draw in. And see, that's what worship does. Worship is a refining process. And so even today, in a few minutes, we're going to start singing, and we're going to allow and ask God to come in and remove the dross. That's what worship is about. It's about purifying ourselves, entering into his throne. Remember, um, not only did they enter the temple in Moses' time, they went through the outer gates. Remember, we talked about Todah being the sacrifice of thanks to entrance. Enter into his gates with Todah. Remember, that was the entry point, and they were working towards God's presence. In the tabernacle of David, it was a similar concept where they would go, and the temple was on a higher mount, and they would make their way up the mountain. And as they went, the, David wrote psalms of ascent, and they would sing psalms and prepare their hearts as they would walk up to the temple to get ready for God, because you just didn't want to show up in God just the way you are. You want to get prepared for him. You, we are to be holy, amen? amen? Sometimes we think with Jesus that we're saved, that, oh, we're, we're, we're totally holy, so I can just do whatever. Well, there is, that, that's true. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's true. But there's stuff in our life that we need to make sure that we're getting to the top and getting rid of so that we can be with him. Just think of it this way. If you look at this, our church right now, and you look at everyone, God sees everyone's heart. As much as you want to try and cover it, as much as you want to put, make the outside look better, God sees past all the outside and looks right. He knows what's going on. He knows the thoughts, the Bible says, and the intents of your heart. He knows all your past stuff. He knows all of it. And so just think of it, if God were to, if he could see all that and he knows that his full manifest presence were to come, it wouldn't work. Some of us would probably keel over and die. His absolute presence. That's why God does come in degrees specifically. God, if he were to show up in his fullness, it wouldn't be good for us. Remember Moses, he said, Moses, well, I'll show you my back leg maybe. You can't see all my glory, else it would be too much for you. You couldn't see that. So there's that process of drawing near to God, ascending up to his presence, getting ready to get with him. Amen? So it's about that process. Well, let's move on. Five is worship simply is a response to his goodness. So worship, the act of worshiping coming there is to get in with God, and it's just a responding. Remember we talked about those who worship best know what they've been saved from the most? Those who truly worship with all their hearts and use every part of the biblical type worship are those people that are, have realized and are realizing what God has done for them. Because it's when you realize how much God has saved you from that you, are, you're, you, you can't but worship him. Are you with me? There's no other alternative. You have to worship God. There's no, there's no other way. So that's what we talked about in the first couple weeks. And then really quickly, last week, we talked about Todah. We talked about sacrifice of praise being um, the entrance into there. So the sacrifice, was the, uh, it was a thanks offering. Remember, Todah was used in Leviticus when they bring a, bring a thank offering to God and sacrificed it. That's where it came from, the first use. And then we talked about how I will enter his gates with Todah. That was the entrance. It was the, the beginning process, the first thing you do, all right? And then number two, we talked, or second there, we talked about choice. We talked about that it was an act of your will. That God's not going to force you. Each one of us today, in a few minutes, are going to have to choose in our hearts, because you're the one in charge of your life. No one can make you praise. No one can make you seek God more. No one can make you do right. Your will is the most powerful thing in the universe. 
You know why? Because God gave it to you. And he said, you get to choose. And so you have to steward that choice. That's your role. You have to steward that choice and say, you know what? No matter how I feel, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter the circumstances I'm under, I'm going to praise God. I will rejoice. David said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. He had to make a choice because sometimes it's a hard choice and you don't feel like it. Amen? Come on. How many times have you shown up to church? Maybe today's one of those days. I just want to sit here and get done and go back and do my thing. Hey, we all face that, but it's a choice. And I'm telling you, the reward is awesome. You see, because if if God just said anyone can enter my presence at any way at any time, then there, would be, there wouldn't be much to it. Are you with me? So that's why there is a process of getting into that, that God wants to know that you want him. Ken, God wants to know that you desire him. Those of you that are married, your spouse wants to know that you love them. And the expectation is that we show that to each other. And to those we love, we let them know that we want to be in your presence. The same with God, and that's the process of worship, is that he wants us to be in his presence, but he wants us to want that, and he's not going to force us. That's why he just doesn't go, oh, you came to church? You automatically get everything. The glory's here, and blah, blah. No, that's not how it works. You come to church to gather with people, then you make the choice to worship. You choose to go on that journey. And then the, the last thing was faith for Todah, which was, remember this, it's a step of faith. Todah comes before deliverance. Remember that? Todah, and we talked about Jonah. And then Jonah, in the midst of the belly of the fish, said, I will Todah you. I will give thanks and praise you. And then the next verse, he got delivered from the fish. So we see that the act of bringing Todah is not just bringing a sacrifice and saying, thank you, God, for what you've done. It's about, God, I know who you are, and I know what you're going to do. You've got good plans for me, and in faith, I believe that, that the things I see right now and the circumstances of my life don't dictate what your word says, that your word's the final word, not my circumstance, amen? So we got to go to him in faith, believing, and that was part of that Todah offering. Then we got into Yada, Yada, which meant to throw or to cast, remember? What, it was used, Todah, the Hebrew word was used as an arrow, to fire an arrow, that same usage. So in the same way, Yada means to thrust forth hands like this. So it's really to praise God, to give, to give God praise. Yad, ah, Yad, cast hands in the direction of ah, God, power. So you're saying, God, you're, I'm yours. You're saying, God, I surrender to you. Remember we talked about the, the, the sign of surrender. So number one is an act of surrender. The first thing we see is that there's an act of going, God, I surrender to you, I need you, I want you, I love you, you're the power of my life. Number two, we also saw, and even more importantly, and even deeper, we saw that it was an act of intimacy. Remember? Daddy, pick me up. Come on, those of you that kids have had, if you've ever had a little kid stretch their arms out for you, smile, and say, pick me up, you know the feeling. And multiply that towards a million, and that's what God thinks about you when you're seeking his heart and going, God, I need you, pick me up, I want to be, I feel safe with you, I want to be in your presence. So yada was an act of, a sign of intimacy. So now let's look at the next two words in our study. The next two words in our study we're going to talk about are shouting and singing. And the first word we're going to look at is, you can see it on your notes there, and it's, it's written in a little differently because shabak is kind of how you would pronounce that, but it's actually shivach. 
It's almost she instead of she, but that's how it's written. So, but shibach is, um, means, this word means this, to shout, to address in loud tone, in a loud tone, to commend, or to boast, or de- to declare. So it's not just about shouting as loud as you can. It's about declaring with a loud voice, with conviction, what you're believing. So as we see, shibach is about declaring to God, shouting with a loud voice. Now let's look at that. Let's look at how it's used in Scripture. In Psalm 63.3, it says this, Because your love is better than life, my lips shall shibach you, right? So my lips, the Bible says in the King James, my lips will praise you. So again, we see the English translation of the word, praise, but it's translated seven different words. So if you were just reading through, you might say, because your love is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Oh, cool, cool, yeah, praise. But it's so much deeper, it's so much richer when you look into the original language and you see that this is about shibaching you, which means to praise and declare your goodness. Your shibach is because you're convinced. When you declare to God, you're saying, you're shouting that loud praise to him because there's something in your heart that is convinced. There's there's no more argument in your heart. You've experienced the goodness, so you know in your knower who God is. And this is the time of worship, church, where you get to the point where you're not asking questions anymore. The debates are starting to end as you get into his presence. As you're entering into his throne room, you come in with you come in with a sacrifice and you're in faith and you're trusting, but you still have a lot of the feelings of the world. And then you take another step in as you made that sacrifice and you start going, I declare it, Lord. I, I'm just going to surrender to you. I'm going to just give up. I'm, I want you. I want to be in your presence. And then you start shibaching, which means you start declaring, convinced at your heart that, no, God, you are good. Lord, you are awesome. And so your heart begins to declare that, not because you made a choice only here, but because you're feeling a choice coming up in here that you just know, because your love is better than life, David said. He had come to the, the, to the place where he knew that God's love, the relationship with God, was better than life itself. The breath he breathed did not compare to the love that he experienced with God in his times of worship, in his times of closeness. And he realized that, and out of knowing that and experiencing that, he shibaked the Lord. Are you with me? So it's actually a response to knowing something in your heart, passionately knowing and being convinced that there is no other way. It is God. There's no arguments anymore. You're not debating whether you should do this anymore. You start caring less about what others think. At this stage, you start to begin to not care much at all. In fact, in this stage, you start not even realizing there's people around you. Because you're getting focused on him, your heart's made a decision, you're convinced that he is the one, that there is nothing better, and so you start entering a little more into his presence, you start shedding off the weights that hold us back. Let's look at another place. In Psalms 145.4, it says this, One generation shall commend, shibach, your words to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. So we have a picture here of one generation shall commend, or shall praise, or declare, or shout aloud your works to another, and, and shall declare your mighty works. See, 
when you know something through personal experience, you want to say it loud to those who don't. Amen? So let's just think of that. It says, from one generation to the next. Any parents in the house? How bad do we want to loudly declare sometimes, don't do it. Don't get that credit card. Stop dating that person. I can see it. It's not that I don't like that person, but I know what's coming. I've been there. I made the same mistakes. Come on, are you with me? And why is that? Because there's this deep conviction in our heart that we've experienced pain and all this junk and we've experienced God's goodness and then we see our child. So to the next generation, we want to go, no, God's good. He's faithful. Trust him. Don't give into that sin. Don't, don't go down that party road. Don't, go, don't, take, don't take those drugs. I've been, I've been there. It's, it's not right. And then I repented and God filled me with his love. And now you're at the same point and I want to shibak to you. Don't do it because you're so convinced in your heart and you know beyond your knower that that's not the way they should go. That's the intensity of this praise word. This is a praise to God speaking out out of conviction the goodness of God, what it says in there in Psalms, the mighty deeds that he's done so that the next generation will hear that. It also means this, though, which is interesting. This word can also be used and translated to soothe or to still, which is very interesting. It's used this way in Psalm 65, 7. It says to, about God, who stills, who shibak, the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult, the uproar, the commotion, the turmoil of the peoples. Check this out. This is an interesting verse. The Bible's using the same word, which is to shout, to declare, as a thing about stilling or bringing a soothing, calming thing to not only the roaring seas, but to the people as well. And what it reminded me about is, remember when Jesus was out on the water and the waves were roaring? Listen to what it says in Mark 4.39. Remember, Jesus was asleep. He, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Same exact definition used in Shibach, which was to still the waves and still the tumult, or still the uproar, or commotion, or turmoil of the peoples. Through this praise, you can quiet the commotion in here. You can bring calm down the roaring waves that are in your heart and in your mind, the things you're struggling with, the things you're fighting against, the things that are bringing you down and trying to take you out in life. This type of praise brings a calming and a soothing to those things in your heart that are trying to stir you up and, and make you a mess. That's the type of praise it is. And Jesus said, peace be still and the wind cease. Listen further. And there was a great calm. How many of you could use a great calm in your heart, in your mind, and in who you are? Are you, are you with me? A great, amen, a great calm. You know, this is the type of stuff that no one around you really knows about all the, 
the voices that you could hear, all the arguments that go on in your mind, all the temptations, all the things that go through the eye, the ear gate, and the mind. God says, I will bring, I will, if you will shabach me, then I will bring a calm and a peace and a stilling to your soul. Listen what Jesus says again in verse 40, the next verse. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Well, Jesus, we were about to die. But Jesus said, why are you afraid and have still zero faith? Wow. Jesus said, by you being afraid, you are exercising zero faith. Did they have a justified reason to be scared? Winds were coming. Most cases, most people, a lot of people would probably die or get cast over or drown or whatever. So they had, a, they had a right in the physical. But Jesus said, why are you afraid and exercising no faith at all? Interesting. Verse 41 says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Why should they not have been afraid? Because the God Almighty that created those things were in the boat with them. And that same God lives in your heart and wants to bring a calm and a soothingness to the waves that are in your heart, the torments, the, the, the confusion to your heart. He wants to bring a stilling to it. it, is this, it it's as if when we decide to shibak the Lord, it puts silence to the raging waves of turmoil in our heart. When we decide to say, when we start to declare who God is, we start to speak out in a loud voice, God, you're worthy, there's a release, and it's almost like that declaration brings a calm. That on the outside, which seems loud and kind of, you know, when people shout and do other type of Pentecostal worship things, some people get offended and weirds them out a little bit. But it's funny on this because the same thing that might make someone uncomfortable is making someone in their heart calm and soothing. On the outside, you're saying, I love you, Jesus. You are worthy. You've never failed me. You're, you're always faithful. And when you declare that out of a heart that believes that, it brings a calm to your heart and mind. And yet on someone on the outside could go, what, what are they all excited about? Because they know and they're knower. And they're declared and they're past the point where they don't care what you think anymore. All they're caring now is about, oh my gosh, God is bringing me peace, and that is exciting, amen? Look, the country, our country we live on is on so much medication, the, the statistics are crazy. How much medication as a country we are on, and I'm not bashing medication at all, please don't misinterpret me, but the point is, is that we are on a ton of it, and, it is, and a lot of it is uh, about um, moods and, and emotional states and all that, and it's like, this is the best medicine that I have ever seen. God can bring a calm and a peace to you. How much medicine is to deal with stress, anxiety, and fear? I mean, just those three things. God can bring a calming to you and, and set you free. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. Jesus said, why are you so afraid? You have the almighty creator in the boat with you. There is no reason for you to fear. There is no reason for you to be anxious. There's no reason for you to think that you're going to die, even though it looks like in the physical that you might, because of who lives in you. Perfect love casts out fear. Jesus, perfect love 
This type of praise silences fear. We could say that Shabbat is a heart that is sold out, convinced, and not turning back. It's the heart, it's the time in praise, it's the time in your life, it's the time in your journey where you get with Jesus and you have decided that there is no turning back. I'm completely convinced. I am 100% sold out. I'm not turning back. The old is looking so old, it's not even, it's not even uh, tempting me to come back anymore because I'm sold out. I'm declaring in my heart with my, my voice, I'm declaring my heart right now that I am sold out for you, God. I'm not turning back. And therefore, that type of declaration brings peace. The next word I want to talk about is on your notes, zamar, actually, zimir is the way you pronounce that. That's best I can do, but that's pretty close. Zimir. And zimir is to sing. It's translated to sing or to express a song divided according to rhythmical numbers. It actually also means to pluck. I don't know if you know that. So this, when it's, a lot of times when it says sing in the Bible, I think uh, over 50 times, it talks about plucking, so guitar playing, harp, lyres, um, it means that as well. But it also means, uh, it, it actually means to play a musical instrument or to sing with the accompaniment of a, of a stringed instrument. It also has been translated and means to dance, which is also done according to a rhythmic number in connection with singing and music. So this word is pretty pretty cool word because it entails a lot. It includes a lot it's about singing it, it, dancing and playing instruments. So this is a huge part. As you guys know, we have three zimirs up here, right? We have four people that are singing, right? We have people plucking. Greg's pretty much plucking the strings, but, you know, it's electronic plucking of the strings. But, you know, we'll, we'll let that pass. And then, you know, the drums, same type of thing. So this word is a deep and enriched around singing and celebrating. It's really a praise about what, it's used in different ways, but I want to look at this. It's a, it can be a praise about what God has done, what God has done in your life. Let's look at that in, in Psalms 30, 11. And as soon as we get down with this word, guys, we're going to put this into practice. So right today, I hope your hearts are ready. I hope your hearts are open to spend time seeking the Most High God. So let's look at how it's used in, in one sense in Psalms 30, 11. It says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Does that sound good to anybody? Who wants to get rid of sadness and bring on gladness? I, I, I want that. That my, uh, that my glory may sing, Zimir, your praise and not be silent. I just want to pause there. David's saying, I'm singing because of what you've done for me and what you've brought me out of my natural response is going to sing and celebrate you, not be silent. The Bible talks very little of silent praise, very little. And I want to just point that out because the natural expression about what God is doing and has done in our life should produce something, right? It should pr produce something good in our life. That my glory may zimir and praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Another way it's used is in uh, Psalms 98.4. It can be about a praise formed out of who God is, just the essence of who God is. Listen to this. 
Psalms 98.4 uses the word like this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous song, and zimir, sing praise. Verse 5, zimir, sing praise to the Lord with the lyre, or the stringed instruments, with the lyre and the sound of a melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before who? The king, the Lord. So it's, it's based out of who he is to you that makes you want to do what you can do with the body he's given you. It's a natural response of knowing God and who he is in your life. If he's your king, you're going to sing to him. It's a natural response. If you're his king, you're going to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So obedience has got to be in there too and many other things. But zimir is used as a form of singing with songs and instruments to the king, the Lord. Also again in Psalms 149.3, it says, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody or zimir, making zimir to him with a tambourine and lyre. So it also includes the dance as well. And so this word is rich and full. And I want to look at one last thing about Zemir because it's an interesting word about singing, but it's pretty straightforward in what it means. But I want to get the heart of this word for you guys today because I think this is going to affect some of you even as we go into worship. Because Zemir is praise that comes out of a steadfast heart. This type of singing, this type of worship is coming out of a heart that is steadfast. Look at Psalms 57.7. Psalms 57.7 says this, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody zamir. So it's out of the steadfast heart, the heart that is, and, and I, this word steadfast is interesting. Look at it. It means, this word means to set up or erect, to set upright as a throne. A steadfast heart, to set up like a throne. Who's on the throne of your heart this morning? Who's sitting in the chair of your throne room right here? Who's in charge of your life? Who is Lord? Who do you know that is in control? Are you sitting there? Is someone else sitting there in place of God? Or is God truly on your throne? Because this type of singing, this type of making music and singing, making melody with song and dancing and moving and celebrating with your body comes out of a heart that the Lord is on the throne. It's a, it's a praise that comes out of a steadfast heart. It, it also means this, to be set up or established or fixed. It's, this praise comes out of a heart that is fixed on him, that is established on him. Psalms 57 goes on to say, because my heart is fixed and you are enthroned. Look at verse eight. It says, awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, yada, O Lord among the peoples, I will sing praise to you, Zimar, among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. This is the type of praise that comes out of a heart that has not only decided like in Shibach, they've decided, they're convinced, 
but also a heart that is steadfast and serving the Lord, and the Lord is on the throne of your life. You've erected an upright heart that is, has God's on the throne and not yourself. But also this word talks about, and this word of praise, even in the midst of trials, this praise can go forth. Look at the next verse in that same uh, part of Scripture we read on verse 6. Verse 6 says this, they have set, it was before, in the, the, verse 6 is before the first one we read, which is interesting. So in verse 7, it says, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast, I will sing and make zimir. If we go back one verse, we see that even in the midst of trials, this praise can, can go. It says this, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. Anyone feel like someone's digging a pit right in front of them? Anyone setting a trap for them? You feel in your life where no matter where you go, you feel like you're getting your feet tangled? Are you with me? And you feel like, man, what's going on? Well, David felt the same way. He said, even though they set a net in my, uh, for me for a trap, they dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. And then he says, steadfast is my heart. Steadfast. And because of what you've done and because of who you are, and even in the midst of when people and trials and tribulations are in my life, I'm going to choose to put you on the throne and I'm going to declare that my heart is steadfast to you. No matter what the circumstances say in life, you are on the throne, God. And I zimir you, I'm going to sing praise, which is almost exalting him back. God, how many people would get back on the throne? Is <laughs> All of us through the week, we try and, hey, God, you want to go take a break while I uh, get on the throne there real quick, make a few decisions? You know, <laughs> you know, we all do that. So the part of worship is, Lord, when I come and sing songs to you, I'm reestablishing you as the throne king of my life. And that makes my heart steadfast in you. You know, we've called this, this uh, series Worship the Heart of God. But you know what's unique about that is that this whole series is really about your heart. Worship is really about God giving you a way to get your heart transformed and changed for him. So yeah, we want to reach the heart of God, but it's funny because really worship and praise and all the things we've been talking about is about you and me getting our hearts changed and transformed. And we see that in Todah, on the last part of your notes there, Todah, a heart of sacrifice, transitioning our heart from all about me to know God, I'm giving up, I'm giving to you. Yada, we saw the heart of surrender, where we fully surrender to the, to the Lord. And then Shivach, we looked at a heart that is sold out, a heart that transitioned into being totally sold out. And then Zimir is a heart that is steadfast. And it's interesting as we continue to see, we have a couple more words we're going to look at in the next few weeks, but as we continue to do that, we're going to see God slowly transitioning our hearts to be in his presence, slowly taking our hearts and doing what Romans says in, I think, 12, that it says, be not conformed to this world. Don't copy this world. Don't pattern yourself after this world. But it says an interesting word. It says, but be transformed, like from the inside out. It's the word metamorphosis where we get that word, and it means from the inside to the outside, be transformed, not from the outside to the end, but from the heart out. And that's what worship is about, guys. It's about you determining to let your heart be shaped 
and changed and putting down things that keep you and hold you back and getting into God's presence. That is the heart of God. The heart of God is that you come and be with him, but we can't until we're willing to remove the dross and get into his presence. Are you with me? Yeah, Yeah? amen? Let's pray and then we're gonna get into worship and um, as the worship team can come on up and get ready, um, we're gonna pray and then we're gonna take communion together today um, as we go into worship. And so I'm gonna ask that the ushers get ready as well. But I wanna, I wanna talk about, as we do this, um, I wanna talk about a scripture that came up on my daily reading. And if, and if you uh, don't have a reading plan and you wanna get on a reading plan, we have some journals in the back. Um, Skip, would you grab me a journal real quick? It's right there. Um, we got these printed out with our name on there. Um, and I wanna just show you what they're about. Thank you, sir. Here, let me hold one, too. <laughs> well, thanks, Vanna. Um, hey, when you, get the commun- when you get your communion, please uh, hold it and we'll partake together. But as we're passing the communion out, this is a, a, called a life journal. And the life journal is, uh, has filled with pages. And what we do here at, at our church is, um, if you want to, you can join with me. And it's about daily journaling. It has a reading plan in the back, so you can uh, read along with us so that our our whole church is all reading the same scriptures, Um, all the reading plan for the whole year. It takes about 20 minutes or so, maybe 30, depends on how, what kind of reader you are, and and then it has um, daily entries where you can take a scripture, we soap it, we read a scripture, we write out our observations, we write out an application, then we write out a prayer. It's not magic formula, but it's just a way to dig into the, and mine the treasures that are in Scripture. It also has a, um, a reading plan, a, a table of contents, and a prayer journal that you can write down your prayer request and then write the dates down that they get answered. So the reason I'm saying that, guys, is that the Lord speaks as you read his word every day. You've got to be in the word. If you're not in the word, don't feel bad. Don't feel condemned. Just today, get in it. Tomorrow, when you wake up, get in it. That's what I do. When I wake up, most days I get my phone out and I start reading the word as I sit up in bed. I want, there's a great revivalist. Has anyone heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Smith Wigglesworth was a great revivalist, raised many people from the dead. And I remember reading one of his books and he says his goal every day was before his feet hit the floor that he would be in, in the scriptures meditating on God's word before his feet touched the floor every day. Uh, he would be driving from uh, speaking engagements and he would be driving and be hours and he would all of a sudden pull his car over and the person was with him was like, what's going on? And he's like, it's been hours. And he would get out the Bible and start reading through the Psalms and meditating because he hungered for the word so much. And I, you know, as I've read about his life, I want to be that kind of man that is so into the word that the word becomes part of me. Because God's word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's gonna, it knows all the thoughts of your heart and mind. It can, it can change you from the inside out. It's power. The word of God is God's power. And so I want you guys to know that. So if you want one of these, you can jump in and start reading with us. Um, they're in the back. They're, they cost exactly $7 to make. That's all. We're not making any money on this. Thank you, babe. Got it? We're not making any money, but that's just the cost of these. has a cool, the Rivers Church logo on there, all nice and fancy. So if you want one, grab one. If not, it's not a big deal. I don't want anyone to feel bad if they don't get it, but it's just a tool. The reason I brought that up is for your health, but also it was just amazing because yesterday I was reading in my journal and and, in the Bible reading, and the story in Mark came up about people bringing the children 
to the Lord. And remember the disciples rebuked him? Wait, get these kids out of here. And Jesus said, oh, well, what are you guys doing? Let the little children come. And he blessed them. And he says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you got to enter as a little child. And immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to me for us and said, if you want to come into my presence and get more of me in your corporate worship, you've got to tell everyone in there that they've got to come to me like a child. They've got to come and worship me as a child does. The child doesn't care. He's just there. I was going to show some cute videos of some babies worshiping, little like one-year-old. It was so cool. But it just made me think that scripture about the fact of us approaching God for who he is as a childlike faith. Put away our adultness and our years of experience and all the bad and good, and let's just approach God today like children. Let's approach him with our hearts. Let's lay it all out bare. Let's not have any pretense. Let's not try and fake anyone out because you're not going to fake God out. And let's just be real and see what he'll do today. On the way up, me and Jen were driving up, and I think just about Wheatland on up, we just started praying for the church this morning. We just started praying, asking God for this time right now that God would show up in power, that he would convict people of sin that would, would hold them back from approaching God and that we would see people healed. We believe that people in the next few 20 minutes are going to start feeling a change in their body. We believe that people are going to be healed today. We believe people today are going to start feeling freedom in areas where they felt bondage before. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so as His Spirit comes and we allow Him, you'll experience freedom. You can get deliverance. You can get saved. You can get healed without anyone praying over you by just getting closer to the presence of God. Because He is the Creator, right? So as we think about that, I want you to approach God today as a child, I want you to think about what that means. I want you to think about how you can do that by just boldly going with them and, Lord, I love you, not being worried about anybody around you. Amen? So let's take the bread and the cup and let's remember the Lord and what he did. Because as we enter his presence like children, we want to believe that his body was given for us. And so if you believe today, I would invite you to take communion. You don't have to take communion if you don't want, so please don't feel like you have to do that. But if you're saved and want to do that, take the bread with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your body that was beaten. We thank you, Lord, that you gave up your body as symbolized in this bread to be broken for us, to be sacrificed, to endure all the pain, Lord, on that cross. Lord, you said, Lord, your prophet said that when you hung on that cross and you gave your body, you carried all of our pain. You carried all of our sickness, Lord. Lord, it was upon your body that the curse was placed upon so that we wouldn't have to be under the curse. Because you said in Galatians, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Lord, you became a curse for us so that we would not have to be part of that curse. So God, we remember you today. We remember that you gave up your body for us so that we could have life and freedom. And so now, like children, we thank you for it. And we say, God, bless you, Lord, for giving up your body for us. Let's eat together. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your body. Let's take the cup that represents his blood. And let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed. 
For their Bible says that there can be no remission, no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Lord, that we could not be free, we could not have eternal life with you, we could not experience healing or any benefit, the Psalms 103 says, without the shedding of your blood. For it was by the shedding of your blood, O God, that you gave us the right, the legal right to be co-heirs with Jesus, to be your sons and daughters, adopted, fully grafted in to the body of Christ. Oh God, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for spilling your own blood to give us life. We can't say enough, Lord, you're so good. You're so good, oh God, and we thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to the cross and giving up your own desires, your own life just for us. And we give it all to you in praise. We give it all to you in worship, and we say thank you. In the name of Jesus, let's drink together. So church, final instructions. It's only 10 after 11. We're gonna take a few minutes to worship. I wanna ask you a few things. I want you to do what you need to do to get alone with God. If you need to just turn around in your seat Get on your knees and start praying right there. You do that. If you want to stand up with us and worship with your hands, do it. If you need to go to the back or you need to go to the side, if you need to just kind of lay on the floor, whatever you need to do to get with God, you do that. This is about entering into the presence of God. I want you to put away all the things in your mind, all the distractions, all the time crunches, and I want you to focus on him. I want you, church, to press in because it's worth it because he's the king, he's the glorious king, and he wants to know you more. So will you do that with us? Will you give us your heart? So would you stand if you can? If you don't want to, please stay seated. Get where you need to be for worship, and let's worship the Lord.